Lord God, Heavenly Father, we just we thank you for today. We thank you that we can rejoice, rejoice in Emmanuel. We thank you that as you once came, you will come again to the new Israel, to the, to the Gentiles and the Jews, Lord God. That as Matt said in the announcements that the, uh, the barrier is broken. It's come down. We have access to you now, Lord, and oh, how we long and look for your return. Lord God, again, I just thank you for all of my brothers and sisters that sit under this room, under this roof with me today. I ask that you will bless the time that we have together. That you will show us how we are to cherish and love each other. one body in you in your son Lord God let us glory and honor you today I ask it in his holy name in Jesus Christ's holy name I pray amen well good morning everyone if you have been here when I have preached before, you know I have a tendency of getting emotional. And um, I told Katrina when she told me that uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel was going to be the song that would be the last song that we'd sing before I stood up here today, that that is my favorite Christmas song. <laughs> um, I do believe that is a song that we could sing year-round. I don't think that it only applies to Christmas. And I do think that chorus... Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Um, I have mentioned it there in my prayer, but I think what is magnificent about the story of Christ, part of what's magnificent, there's a lot that's magnificent about the story of Christ, but part of what is magnificent about the story of Christ is that uh, he has broken down that wall, that barrier that was once there that separated Jew and Gentile, And we long with our brothers and sisters, whether coming from Jewish ethnic background or coming from the various many uh, Gentile ethnic backgrounds, to see our Savior return and redeem once again his people. Uh, all right. So if you have been coming frequently um, or have... Uh, been following along with any of our podcasts, or we've been doing some YouTube videos now. I see Aaron back there videoing right now. Uh, if you've been following along with that, you know that we've been working our way through the book of Romans. Um, and as this year is wrapping up quickly, we are wrapping up quickly. So um, we are in chapter 16 uh, this week. So if you want to go ahead and turn there uh, with me, uh, if you use the old... Uh, paperback or paper Bible, or if you have an electronic device, whatever it is you choose to use, turn there. We're going to be in Romans 16, um, verses 1 through 16. I'm just going to go ahead and read. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, 
a servant of the church at Sancaria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first to convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petro Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philagus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let's pray once more. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we allow, or you allow us to see you, that you allow us to see your heart and to see who you are through your word. Lord, I just ask that uh, eyes will be opened and ears will hear what it is that you will have us glean from this text. And Lord, again, I just ask that uh, uh, I and the words that you have given me will glorify and honor you. And again, I ask it in your son's holy name. In Jesus Christ's holy name, I pray. Amen. So we as a church, Mercy Hill, have begun um, recently to record some podcasts. And these podcasts are directly geared towards you all, to, to the members of our, our church body, both here and out at the theater. And the reason I'm bringing that up is that one of the podcasts that we are doing, I believe it's going to be entitled Eat This Scroll, um, uniquely titled, but it is to help everyone learn how to study their Bible better. Um, and one of the things that you will learn as you're listening to this podcast, and one of the things that is important um, when you're doing individual Bible study and you're reading through the text, is to recognize patterns or to notice patterns within the text. Or sometimes it even takes the form of repetition. Um, so if, if one word, if one word is noticeably repeated in this section of text, what do you think that word is? Greet, right? And so when you see that or when you see repetition of words in a passage of text, it should ring some type of bell. It should make you pay attention to it. Um, it would be easy to think here, especially, that, that it's just a simple greeting, um, that there's nothing more to just saying, I say hello to this person, I say hello to this person, but that would be a mistake. It would actually 
it, it, would, it would do a mis... Um, or it would lead to a misunderstanding, I guess, of the depths of Paul's love for the Christians in Rome. So starting in verse 3 and ending in verse 16, Paul uses the word greet a total of 18 times. And in verse 16, he concludes with this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So we must ask, why would Paul write this? What does it mean? And what does it imply about the text that comes before it? Paul cherishes his Christian brothers and sisters that reside in Rome. He has such an affection for them that if you remember back in chapter 1, I know that's a long time ago, he wrote, Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Without ceasing, I pray for you. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Think of that. Without ceasing, <laughs> I pray for you. Um, those of you here that pray often, and I hope it's all of you, I hope that when you have those moments in life where you, your mind is filled with things or your mind is drifting, that you, that you develop a discipline to call yourself back, to, to lift your voice, whether it be inside your head or, or externally to Christ. But for those of you that pray, and pray often, I would guess that in most circumstances, or in all circumstances, it's probably safe to say that you pray, and who you often mention are those who you love and cherish. I would say those that you lift up in prayer the most are the people that you love and the people that you cherish. Paul goes on in this text from chapter 1, he says that he longs to come and see them by God's will. If you remember last week, and I believe even the week before, we were kind of diving into the text of chapter 15, and we read how Paul had submitted himself to the will of God as a missionary. And he was, being, he was going wherever he knew that God was leading him to spread the gospel. And now, now he was hopeful that there would be an opportunity for him to come see them in Rome. And so he told them in, in chapter 15, he said, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, his ministry, his, his going out and being a missionary. But now, now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed, I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Paul was unsure if his travels would work out the way that he had planned because he knew that ultimately it was up to God, and, and, and that is why he says that he was hindered. He's not, he's not upset that he was hindered on coming to them. He was doing God's work. He was this missionary set out in the field, but he's hoping, he's longing for years, he says, that he wants to come visit them. But he ultimately knows that it's God's plan, so he's unsure if he'll actually get there. But he clearly wanted to see them. It's evidence in this letter in totality that he wanted to see them, that it was written to a church, that it was written to a church to a people who Paul cherished and loved. 
This is a letter we sometimes get caught up in its theology and its doctrine, but ultimately this is a letter grounded in not only Paul's love, but in the love of Christ to his church in Rome. And as he begins to close the letter that we just mentioned is so rich in doctrine, so rich in theology, he remembers. He remembers specific individuals in that church. And he thinks about how much they mean to him. He begins to address some of them individually. If you're looking at this list and you're wondering, man, there's a lot of people in that list, you're right. There's 26 individuals by name or title. And when I say by title, I mean anyone that's the, of those individuals that's not named specifically their name. You have Rufus's mother and you have Nerus's sister that are named there. And they would have known who they were, right? He clearly knew who they were. There's also five groups that he names. He names the church in Prisca or Priscilla's, as you would fi find her in other biblical texts named, in Aquila's house. He mentions the families of Aristobulus and Narcissus. In verse 14, he mentions the brothers. In verse 15, he mentions all the saints. So, but when he is done addressing each and every one of them, he writes, greet one another with a holy kiss. Why does he write it? Well, I just explained to you how much he longed to be with them. He writes it because if he was there, that is what he would do. He loves his brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome so much that if he could just embrace them and give them a kiss and show them how much he loves them, he would do it. This may seem a little weird to us <laughs> now in, 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 in our time and age, right? Uh, we live in, and, and even, it may even seem a little inappropriate to us as we're reading it through our lens here on, on this side of time, I guess you could say. But we have to understand that to greet someone with a kiss, it was a, it's a, it was a cultural normal at the time, a cultural norm. And we see examples of it throughout Scripture. We, we see one of the most um, notice, noticeable examples is in the Gospel of Luke. If you remember this story, uh, Jesus uh, is asked by the Pharisee Simon to come to his house. And so Jesus comes, and uh, Simon uh, asks him to eat with him. And when Jesus arrives, there's, there's a prostitute there. She, the prostitute found out that Jesus was going to be there, so she came because she wanted to see him. And as she comes from behind Jesus, she starts to weep because she recognizes who she's in the presence of. And as she's weeping, she bows down. And she has this expensive oil with her, this ointment. And she begins to anoint Jesus' feet with tears rolling down her face. And with her hair and the ointment and her tears, she begins to wipe and kiss Jesus' feet. The Pharisee, Simon, thinks within his, in himself that if Jesus knew who this was, this sinner of a woman that's touching him, that he would be repulsed 
Simon's thinking to himself, how dare this woman touch him and how dare he receive her? But Jesus responds. He says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. So as you can see, as Jesus came to Simon's house, there was an expectation of this greeting, right? We also see a kiss being used later in history. And it was probably the epitome of what we could call an unholy kiss. It's in the garden. Jesus is with his disciples. Judas is betraying him. And Judas tells the guard, I will kiss the one who is he. That is the one you will arrest. That is the one you are looking for. And Jesus, even stunned by this action of Judas, asks him, you're going to betray me with a kiss? So we know that a kiss was a common greeting. Or at the very least, it was done to show respect or honor for the person who, they, who he was approaching, who the individual was approaching. Even if done so deceitfully, as Judas did. Which even goes to show why this courtesy, why Paul thought this courtesy should be paid to every Christian within the body. So he instructs the Roman church to greet one another with a holy kiss. What makes it holy? Paul is taking this common practice, this greeting, and he's saying, make it holy. Greet one another in a way that displays not only the love and affection of Paul, but more importantly, the love and affection of Christ. Now, if you remember, some biblical text is descriptive, meaning that it describes something that can be applied in, in our modern context, but doesn't necessarily have to be identically practiced. And then there's some biblical text that is prescriptive, meaning it tells us exactly, exactly how we are to act, behave, or obey God. So there's a descriptive and a prescriptive. This text would lean more towards the descriptive, right? In a way that we should greet our brothers and sisters in Christ. As I said before, <laughs> greeting one another with a holy kiss may not seem so holy to most today, um, or it may not be very well received, depending on who you're receiving it from. But we are able to greet one another in a tangible way that shows our brothers and our sisters that sit among us that they are cherished. It could be as simple as a handshake. I joked around with Don this morning in prayer. I, I said, I'm greeting you with, with our, our version of the holy kiss today. And I shook Don's hand as I came in. So it could be as simple as a handshake. And depending upon your relationship, and hear me, I'm not advocate, and I know, especially if you're new to a church, even when there's like the design greeting, right? Sometimes we do this even here. We say, hey, greet the person sitting next to you, right? 
which is a great thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a bad But sometimes when you're a new person, it's a little uncomfortable. It's like, oh, I don't know these people. Or you're fortunate enough to have enough people sitting around you that you do know that you're like, okay, whatever. I do this anyways. So there is a comfort level to it, but there is, there is a way that we can show our brothers and sisters that they're cherished, a tangible way, whether it be shaking the hand, whether it be wrapping our arm around their shoulder, whether it be giving them a hug. I'll give you an example from my own life. Prior to uh, Jenna and I moving here, we lived in Flint, Michigan um, for a while, three years. I got confirmation of that, got the head nod. So yeah, we lived in, we lived in Flint, Michigan for about three years, and, and we got involved in a church there called Flint City Church, and I developed one of the best Christian brother relationships I have with a brother named Riggy. And he actually would lead us in song most of the time um, to worship the Lord. And anyways, we hadn't been back to Michigan in four years. So we moved here, we hadn't gone back. It wasn't because we didn't want to. It was because of schedule conflicts and things of that nature. Um, but anyways, this year, we finally made it back. And we got to go to Flint, Michigan. And um, one of the first things that I did when I knew that we were going was to call Ricky and let him know, hey, we're coming, here are the dates. And uh, little did I know and found out later on from his wife, Megan, that he told her, these are the dates the Frakowskis are coming. We're not doing anything else. And uh, so we got there, walked up to each other, and hugged. His wife, Megan, and I hugged. He hugged my wife. His wife hugged my wife. We cherish one another. And the foundation of our relationship, the foundation, the very rock that it stands upon, is Christ. We wouldn't have even known one another if it wasn't for Christ bringing us together. And so to show that sign of affection to my brother and my sister, it means so much don't take for granted the people that sit around you in this place so what does it mean to be in Christ well in Christ is a, is a common phrase used throughout all of Paul's epistles I'm drinking a lot today because getting emotional a lot today so just gotta kind of bear with me as I talked about before, when you're doing Bible study, one of the things that you can look for are patterns or common phrases. So the term in Christ, as I said, is a common phrase throughout all of Paul's epistles. In total, that phrase or a phrase closely to it is used at least 146 times throughout all of his letters. So it would seem that in Christ is something we should be paying attention to. Paul uses it in different ways depending upon how exactly he is writing or what he is writing about. 
um, here, um, Paul refers to individuals in Rome as either in Christ or in the Lord a total of eight times between verses 3 and 13. And while the context of each statement differs slightly, the overarching theme is that they are members of the body of Christ. And Paul cherishes each one of them because they are. Because they are members of the body of Christ. Paul displays his affection for them by the way that he writes about them. And you can tell by the way that he writes about them that he clearly had some different relational dynamics with each person. Um, Some were more intimate than others. You can tell that for sure. But he cherished all of them. And he expressed that in the details that he included about them. So we're going to kind of work our way through and see some of the ways that he and why he cherished his brothers and sisters, or at least he expressed that he cherished his brothers and sisters. He cherished those that he called fellow workers in Christ. As these individuals that he points out and he gives this title to, or he says they worked or work in Christ, as he's saying this, what he's indicating is that they clearly played some part in the ministry of Christ to others. Some even held church in their homes, which is a common practice then, and at times a risky one. And you have to think, even as I stand here today, I'm not the only one that's involved in this ministry. As I stand here today, prior to me getting up here, we had Katrina, Jody, and Mark lead us in worship. Right? And I appreciate you guys. (laughs) I cherish you. I really do. We have Wes and Kyler sitting in the back. Most of you probably don't even notice them when you walk in because they're in charge of the sound. They're in charge of the words that you see on the screen. They make sure you can hear me. They should probably fade me out when I'm choking up every once in a while. No, I'm just kidding. But and we have other individuals that do these same things, right? It's we we have a worship we have a musical worship team that that, that changes every week. Uh, Wes and Kyler are back there today. Sometimes we have different people back, and sound. We have our elders. This ministry that that I am fortunate enough to walk in is not a lonely one. And so I cherish these brothers and these sisters. We have Sarah. I don't, want, I, don't want to go, I don't want them to go unmentioned. We have Sarah and her team that work with our children. And that is a vital ministry. It is a ministry that is needed, especially in this day and age, folks. Our kids. And we have to cherish those people. So Paul here is talking about how he cherishes those people that work alongside him in the ministry of Christ. Paul cherished those who shared in his sufferings. He writes that Andronicus and Junia were fellow prisoners with him. Where and when they were in prison together is unknown, but part of what endeared Paul to them is that he knew they could identify with the suffering that he had endured. And though it may be difficult, and we may not recognize it in the moment, it is often comforting to be able to confide 
and fellow believers who have experienced similar difficulties or sufferings that we have. I think we've all experienced this. With my wife Jenna being a physician um, and her involvement with pregnancies and babies, uh, I am aware of a lot of the pain that comes from something going wrong. But I also know that those sisters and brothers that sit amongst us in Christ who have experienced those life-changing events firsthand and walked with the Lord through them are better able to identify with and they're better able to support those who go through it. We, we will all face various sufferings on this side of eternity. Some things that we may not label sufferings, but it, it will feel like it. And we can be grateful. We can cherish the fact that in Christ, in his body, there are many brothers and sisters that God equips through those experiences to be able to walk with us through it. Paul cherished Epinetus, and for good reason. He was the first to convert to Christ in Asia, which most likely means that Paul was the one that led him to Christ. So he personally, Paul personally, got to witness Epinetus' conversion. And there's something about seeing a brother or sister come to Christ for the first time that just brings joy. I know uh, I've mentioned it several times. I'm going to go ahead and get the water now. But I've mentioned it several times, and um, my dad's even here today, so I know that you guys have heard me say it, but probably one of the greatest moments of my life was watching my dad be baptized. And there is something to knowing, especially when it's someone that you have a familial relationship with outside of the familial relationship in Christ, come to him and give their life to him that just rocks your world. And so I can only imagine how Paul felt with Epinetus, Epinetus, however you want to pronounce it, that he got to see him and guide him to accepting Christ as his Lord and Savior. Paul had the same affection, although he had that affection for this younger convert who he knew and who he played a part in uh, coming to Christ. He also shared that same affection for those who had been in Christ before he was. And you got to think, you got to wonder if part of that was that, if you remember, Paul was one of the worst persecutors of the church before Christ blinded him and brought him to himself. And so you got to think that when, when Paul's looking at these guys that knew Christ before him, which mo- most likely means they were in the early church, those were the same people he was seeking to kill. And now he's saying, I cherish you, my brother and sister who came to the Lord before I did. Not only that, he calls them kinsmen, or fellow ethnic Jews. So again, as we, go, as we were talking earlier, there is this union, right, of these ethnicities. It, Christ's, the being in Christ, the body of Christ transcends ethnicity, and we see that here because of this list, and I'm going to kind of dive into that a little bit more here in a moment, but Adronicus and Junia, were his kinsmen, meaning his fellow ethnic Jews. As I said, there is always, not only is there something 
amazing about seeing someone come to Christ. There's also something great about being among someone that has walked with him for a long time. And I know when Jenna and I first moved here and we first started getting involved in the church at Mercy Hill, I found out they were doing prayer on Wednesdays at, is it 5 a.m.? Oh, boy. 5 a.m. That's a tough pull. But I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to go ahead and try this and start going out there on Wednesdays. And I met some people, and I am going to name them, but uh, definitely they're older than me by age. Not to say it's bad, but I also know that they've walked with Christ a lot longer than I have. And their prayer life and just seeing and them embracing me as just a brother in Christ and just the way that they would interact with me, I cherish them and I cherish their relationship. I don't get to see them as often as I used to because we're primarily out here, but, but when I do, when we get to have uh, time together, it is great catching up with them. And um, one, one couple was Paul Norker and his wife Miriam. Uh, Tom was an individual there, and Joe and Diane also. And these, like I said, these elders in Christ <laughs> had walked with him, have walked with him much longer than I have, and just, there's just something about being able to cherish community with those brothers and sisters that have walked with our Lord. Paul also cherished those who seemed to possibly need encouragement about their standing with the Lord. And Paul reassures them. He reassures them by telling them that they are beloved, approved, chosen. As people in Christ, sometimes we need that type of reassurance. Sometimes we need the reassurance that God loves us, that he chose us, and that he approves of us in Christ. I'm illustration heavy today, so bear with me, but this past week, well actually I'll even give you a little insight into my own life, I guess, more so than I typically do. Every time that um, I find that I, I am preparing to preach, I am often hit with this overwhelming feeling of the fact that I am inadequate and that I should not be the one standing up here. And it is, it is debilitating. Um, it gets to a point where I feel unworthy. It gets to a point where I ask, who am I that I should stand before the people of God and lift up his name? And so I was fortunate enough this past week uh, when I was at the gym one morning that I ran into a brother. He doesn't come to our church. I'm not quite sure what church he goes to. It doesn't really matter to me. I know that in the conversations that he and I have, I know that he's a brother in Christ. And um, as I was expressing this to him and telling him how there are times where it just becomes crippling and that I can't move forward in my sermon preparation because I just don't feel like I should be the one up here. He reminded me of the mercy and the grace of our Lord. The mercy and the grace that he's extended to us. And I cherish him. I really do. I cherish that brother. Because he reminded me that I'm loved. He reminded me that I am chosen. He reminded me that I am approved in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I won't lie, it made it a lot easier to get up here today. 
And it's not ever easy, but <laughs> it made it less difficult when he reminded me of who I am and who our Lord and Savior is and who I am in him. There are some individuals who Paul doesn't say a whole lot about other than to greet them. You see, them, you see most of their names in these lists toward the end of the text. But I believe there's more to it. Most likely, these were individuals who Paul had not personally met or personally interacted with. Most likely, he was told about them through a trusted source, through someone that he knew was involved in the church who relayed back to him, hey, the church is growing, we have some new people, or we have some people that are really starting to get involved, and here they are. And it was just names, right? But he wanted them to know. What did Paul want them to know? He wanted them to know that he was aware of them. That he was aware of their presence in the church. He's letting them know that they are seen. That they are noticed. That he sees them. More importantly, God sees them. And God knows them. Sometimes, that's all a brother or a sister in Christ needs is to know that he or she is seen. To know that he or she is known by God. To know that he or she is cherished. I will tell you right now, every time I stand up on this stage, I look out, and I see faces. And some of them I see frequently more than others, which is good and bad, I guess. (laughs) I want to see all of you. Always. I would love to have you all here. Always. Um, But know that God does see you. You are seen. You are known. God knows you. He does. You're not alone. And know that you are cherished. I don't know all of you, personally. And that may be... A more, more of a poor indicator of myself than it is of you all. <laughs> Most likely it is. I'll take that. But I would, I would love to get to know more of you better. Something significant that may go unnoticed about this list of individuals, something that Paul somewhat addressed, and even I somewhat addressed a little bit earlier. He doesn't address it completely uh, because it's not the primary focus of what he's trying to express, but his affection towards those in Christ, this list of individuals it's actually quite diverse, and it's pretty unique or interesting of the, of the Roman church. It included Jews and Gentiles, as I talked about earlier when he talks about those that are of his kindred, those are Jews. But it is noticeable that there were Gentiles there, so there were different ethnicities. It also includes women and men, so there are different genders. And he has high praise for many of the women there, if you haven't noticed. In fact, even when he's commending his sister Phoebe, meaning his sister in the body of Christ, to them, he asked for them to treat him, that, her as they would treat him, if it, if it was him. Because he holds her so highly to esteem. He cherishes her. So it includes, these lists include women and men. There is strong evidence that some of these folks were slaves because some of the names that are listed were common for slaves in that day. There's also evidence that some of the names listed were very financially wealthy. 
But that was no matter to Paul. He cherished them. Because each of, each of them, each and every single one of them, was in Christ and was part of the body. Give me another illustration. I, for a short period, I attended Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And while I was there, uh, one of the classes that I took, we would go out and we would do different ministries in different areas of the, of the city. And uh, there's one that sticks out in my mind, and I'll never forget. We went to the Juvenile Detention Center in Chicago. And as many of you know, the crime rate in Chicago is pretty high. And so as you're walking in amongst these young men and women, or, yeah, young men and women, girls and boys, um, it is a large, large building, very dark. Um, and you walk in there, and there are these kids that are basically in prison. And you don't really have any idea why they're in there. And they took us to this room, and they were, they, we were doing a service, and they had a number of people involved in the service. And I remember walking in, and they, and they, divided, they divided the kids in three sections. There were, there were two on each side, and then there was kind of one back here in the middle. And on the side that I sat on was, I would say, the younger boys. So probably, I don't know, somewhere between 14 and 16, 14, 15, something like that. And then the section that kind of was in between the two sections was uh, the older boys, the boys that were on the brink of turning 18, which for most of them meant that they were going to be transported to an adult detention center. And then on the other side were girls. And I distinctly remember some of them actually being pregnant while they were in there. And so the service begins, and they, and they had someone to lead music. It was this uh, young lady that I, I believe was in the seminary program, I can't remember exactly, the graduate program, and she, she was a pianist, and I believe she even signed a record deal at one point in time, like she's a very good pianist, so she starts playing worship music, and these kids are completely distracted by each other. They could care less that she's up there. They're flashing gang signs to each other, there were outbursts where one girl would reach up and grab another girl by the hair, so they would rush in and grab her and take her out. There'd be these guys, they'd stand up and start having verbal battles with each other, so they'd come in and they'd take one of them out. The, the, the young boy that was sitting right next to me, they were all dressed the same. They had like plain white shoes. I'll never forget it. He had like swastikas and all these different white power things on his shoes, and he would, I could tell what he was doing. He would do gang signs underneath the chair to the guys sitting across the room to, from him. So completely distracted. She's playing music. They could have cared less. Then this older gentleman gets up, and he gives his testimony. Same thing. They're just distracted by each other. They just want to get at each other. All these gang signs being flashed, this, that, and the other. Then this young man, who was in the undergraduate program at Moody, he gets up there, and he was from inner city Chicago. And he was gifted <laughs> with doing spoken word. And I don't know if many of you know what spoken word is. It's kind of like poetry, uh, but with a little more hip. I guess you would say. And so he gets up there to give his uh, testimony in spoken word. And, and I'm watching him. I'd never met him before, other than just this time. And I'm watching him, and he is waxing eloquently these words and rhyming them and talking about how he was involved in gangs in Chicago and how he and his brother went and they beat up this guy and they get back to their house and his sister's going to, the, going to the grocery store, and he asks if he can go with her. She's like, no, you're staying here. 
So they get into this verbal altercation. She goes out and gets in her car, and as she gets in her car, they come by and they shoot the vehicle. Luckily, she doesn't get hit, but right where he would have been, right where the headrest, where his head would have been, there was a bullet hole. So he's talking about this throughout this whole spoken word. He's, he's talking about how Christ came into his life, and it changed his life. As he's going through the spoken word, I watched these kids who had this noise in their heads of just hatred toward all of the people sitting around them just hone in and just focused on this boy as he was giving them a testimony from something that they knew, that they lived. And as I watched it, I thought to myself, I cherish. And that may not have been the word, but it fits with what I'm going through today, but it was how I felt. I cherish this brother of mine that can stand up here and have such an impact on these kids that some white boy from the Midwest that grew up idolizing gangster rap and all those things could not identify with. But God, in his sovereignty, plucked this young brother from that lifestyle and placed him in a place where he could change the lives of people. He could change the lives of those people that saw the same things that he saw day in, day out, on the streets of these inner cities, the drug use, the, the, gang, the gang banging, all that stuff. And I saw kids changing, and they, they, wanted, they wanted to know more. And so after he got that, they just wanted to ask questions. And now, now the people, that, now they're telling them, you guys got to go. And now they don't want to leave. Whereas right before, they were ready to either rumble or get out of there. It was one of the most magnificent things I've ever seen. It is one of the uh, pivotal moments in my faith journey to watch a brother who I couldn't identify with on a lot of things, but the one thing I could identify with him with him is that we were both in Christ. And that is what's important. And that is, what's Paul, that's, that is what Paul is doing here as he's working through this list. Don't look at it as a simple list of greetings. He's walking through this list and he's identifying those people that he's had personal interactions with and he's saying, I cherish you. I see you. I love you. And some of them, I can identify, he could identify personally with. He had personal interactions with. Some of the other ones, it was just, I know you're in the body. And I want you to know, I see you. God sees you. Christ sees you. Worship team, you can come on up. I'm going to uh, leave you guys with this. And I'm going to pose a few questions to you today. Um, and as you leave today, don't forget to give like the fist bump, uh, a, a holy fist bump to somebody or something, right? But here's my question for you. Do we cherish our brothers and sisters in Christ the way that Paul did? If we are involved in some form of ministry, do we cherish those who work with us in it? And if we do cherish them, do they know it? Do we show our brothers and sisters that we cherish them by sharing in their sufferings? Or being there for them when they are suffering? Do we remember to cherish and celebrate those that we see come to Christ? And then after they come to Christ... Do we support them in their walk with the Lord? 
Because it's not a lonely, it's not a lonely walk, folks. We're in the body of Christ because we are the body of Christ. He is the head, but we walk along this path, this journey together. Do we cherish our older believers who have been walking with Christ for longer than we have, and they have wisdom that they can share with us that is awesome? And if we do cherish them, do they know that? And do we remind our brothers and sisters do we remind our brothers and sisters that they are loved, they are chosen, they are approved in Christ, and they are seen? It takes a heart like Paul's to cherish those who are in Christ. But it takes more so a heart in Christ to cherish those who are in Christ. If you're, you guys are doing communion, you can come on up. We're going to be taking communion today. Um, and when we do it, 